there should be no odd against killing people. I know it's a wrong thing, but hell, hell, you restrict somebody from it, they're gonna want it more. Crystal. Hello, Kat. Welcome to Alternative Interests. What are you doing? I, I'm trying to switch it up. Gosh, like, geez, every, everyone's a critic. Humans like <laughs> consistency. It makes them feel at ease. How do we usually start it? Hi, everybody. Welcome to Alternative Interests. I'm Kat. I, she's got a, <laughs> hi guys we didn't discuss this I don't know what she's doing <laughs> I was I was hoping to surprise you with me being spontaneous <laughs> oh well color me surprised <laughs> I thought you were gonna say oh well don't <laughs> <laughs> anyways welcome welcome hello hello yeah um, you know, what we were talking about is, um, you know, I'm going to get his name wrong and I closed my internet browser. Uh, the, the guy with three names that just Caldwell. Got, yeah. Right. James. James. Uh, uh, Brian, Brian Ca- Chadwell. <laughs> his James Brian Chadwell is his name. Today's going to be a mess. I don't even know. <laughs> Well, it is because I haven't even looked at my notes since Wednesday. So this is either going to go very well or very, very wrong. But James Brian Chadwell is his name. Yeah, I'm going to have to look more into it because I heard people. Well, I didn't hear. I saw people talking about this earlier this week. And I eventually want to cover the Delphi case. Mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to wait until there was more information because at this point, every podcast out there is kind of going over and it. over the same stuff. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll have to see what comes of this. I recommend Morbid's coverage of it. They do a good job. Now I feel like everyone's going to do it again. Probably, yeah. yeah. It's a good. I mean, it's it's a good case to do. I hope they. I hope new. I hope with this arrest, new information comes out. Yeah, that would be great because And he's not even arrested just, for it. He's just being investigated now because of some um similarities. Yeah, and uh his proximity uh-huh. and they're just looking at yeah. him. Um Yeah, my words are falling out of my head. Yeah, they are. That usually happens that's to me. Just, that's just what they do. We all know I'm definitely not a wordsmith. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but at least I laugh about it now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Crystal, I have a story for you. I think you actually... I hope so, because I don't have a story (laughs) this week. Well, like I told you before, like like 10 minutes before this, I was like taking off my makeup, getting ready to record. And I'm like, I wonder what story Crystal's going to tell me this week. And then I was like, oh, wait, it's my turn. (laughs) And then I had to actually sit and think, did I finish my notes? Do I have a story? And I do have a story. So I have a story for you. You may have heard of this story because... um, 
it's been out there. I actually, the reason the story caught my eye was because I was watching a, you're going to roll your eyes when I say it, a TikTok. TikTok? (laughs) (laughs) Because apparently when you turn 41, um, you watch TikTok all the time to try to remain relevant. But I was watching TikTok and I saw this come across my For You page uh, because my algorithm only has uh, videos of True crime, 911 calls, um, sick children dying, and um, makeup for individuals over 40. So it's pretty exciting, pretty exciting. I enjoy my life. Uh, But yeah, this story came up on one of the true crime ones because there is a lot of audio clips that they have with this one. So that's a a little bonus. But anyways, I'm going to tell you the case of Cassie Jo Stoddard. Have you heard of that one? I have, yes. Okay, all right. I think um, it's been a while since I've heard any information on this one. But okay. I remember hearing some of the audio that you were yeah. mentioning, and I think that's why it sticks out of my head, because the yeah. audio is awful. And you know what? That's the thing about... This generation, I feel old saying that, but like the generation that has been brought up on screens and all this access to, you know, social media and technology right at their fingertips, they're also making horrible choices as to what they record, what they say, what they post. Like they don't realize if someone finds it, it's there forever. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a a footprint. Well, also, um, it's important to note that this happened in 2006, right? Yes, this was 2006. That was kind of the era of teenagers having, like, the Nikon cool pics. Yeah. That that was the first time. The camcorder, the, yeah. I mean, not even a camcorder. I'm thinking of, like, the little, almost cell phone-sized uh, cameras that were just really easy. It was the first really cheap. I think you could get them for like $99 of a really? shoot camera. I got one for Christmas one year. Oh, I, I know what you're talking about. And they came in the cool colors and yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know uh, that is, about. that's the time frame we're talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. So it's not even that they, I mean, in 2006, social media, that was, I think MySpace was kind of dying and Facebook was just starting in uh-huh. that yep. time. So it's not even like the prevalence of social media at the time. It was the fact that these cameras were so readily available that every teenager I knew was taking pictures of everything. They were video recording everything because it was so easy. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, they don't realize that everything they're recording and filming and posting and all of that, it, it stays forever. So I feel like there's a lot more evidence that comes out in some of these cases because people, you know, it's natural to them to record everything or like in the, in the case that we had a couple weeks ago with Angela Wrightson, they posted that on Snapchat. I mean, that was granted not 2006. That was 10 years after, but still, you know, yeah, it's just all over anyways. So 
that has a lot to do with this case. That's why we have a lot of audio because the killers in this case loved recording, loved making movies. And so I will just begin. So this is about uh, the unfortunate murder of uh, Cassie Jo Stoddard. She was only 16 years old. This happened um, September 22nd, 2006. She was actually house-sitting for her aunt and uncle, Frank and Allison, which apparently she house-sat for them a lot. They had two dogs and um, a couple of cats. And so whenever they were away, they would ask Cassie if she wants to come over and you know, watch the house. They had only lived in this house for a year, Frank and Allison, Cassie's aunt and uncle, and she also had a cousin too. And it was a two-acre property on Whispering Cliffs Drive in Northeast Babcock County in Idaho. It was- That sounds fancy. (laughs) You know what? I thought it sounded really fancy too. I looked at the pictures and it's it's really a remote area, but I mean, it, it was, it's a nice house, right? And it's on two acres. And they had, Frank and Allison had only lived there for about a year uh, before um, before all of this happened. So anyways, Cassie Jo Stoddard was born on December 21st, 1989. She was your typical teenager. Uh, her and her brother actually lived with her grandparents. They're still close to their mom, but they live with their grandparents for whatever reason. Okay. She was very popular. She was a junior at Pocatello High School. I think I'm saying that right. Pocatello? Pocatello High School. High School. <laughs> I think you broke. I did. I think I had a mini stroke right there. Pocatello High School. <laughs> Anyways, Cassie was beautiful and smart. Um, she loved music and drawing. Her brother later said in an interview, just... Uh, just how artistic she was. And I don't know if you've looked up a picture of her yet, but she is beautiful. Like she has one of those smiles. And I feel like, I feel like it's so cliche. I always say this in all of my cases, uh, that they, they had a smile that lit up the room, but I'm serious. She, she's, she was beautiful. She loved helping others. And she was a very responsible teenager. Uh, She had straight A's. She never touched drugs or alcohol. So when her uncle Frank and Aunt Allison asked her to house it, um, she jumped at the chance. They were out of town and, you know, they trusted her with watching the house and taking care of the family pets, which I think I said before, it was two dogs and three cats. It's a lot of pets. It is a lot of pets, but they live on two acres. So I'm sure that's, you know, the pets ran around. Um, so when she was going to house it and pets it for her aunt and uncle, she asked if her boyfriend, uh, could come over and her boyfriend was Matt Beckham. And that she had been dating Matt for about five months. And because Cassie was basically your dream teenager where she was super responsible, you know, good grades, just everything, her aunt and uncle were totally down with that. They were like, yeah, you can invite your boyfriend, Matt, to come over. To come over or like to stay with her? 
to, to come over. And that's exactly what ends up happening. He just comes over. I mean, he doesn't even spend the night, which sounds okay. really weird when you hear what happens next. But yeah, she just wanted, they were, he was just going to come over that night um, at, on, it was September 22nd. He was just going to, they were going to hang out and watch a movie. That was the plan. Okay. So around 6 p.m., Matt comes over. His mom drops him off, and she is actually going to pick him up later. So she drops him off at 6 p.m. He, while he was over there, he was talking to Cassie, and he's like, hey, let's, you know, invite my friends over. Like, he had two other friends that he wanted to invite over. And Cassie knew them, too, because these were also two juniors at the same high school that they all went to. And But she wasn't really comfortable with the idea because her aunt and uncle only said yes to Matt coming over and right. no one and else. Like, she's a, she sounds like a responsible exactly. girl. She's like the good girl. She doesn't want to do anything that's going to uh, jeopardize how other people are seeing her, especially her family that is trusting her with their house. So I get correct, it. Correct, correct. And I think when I think about myself when I was a teenager, I was kind of like this too. I don't think I had straight A's. I had like A's and B's. But, um, but if someone trusted me to do something and then, you know, I had asked for permission for a specific thing, like let's say I was babysitting and I asked for a friend to come over, I would not feel comfortable if that friend was like, now can we invite two other people Right. you know, to come over. And so I would probably feel a lot of anxiety about it too. And I think Cassie felt that way. I mean, um, that, you know, no, my aunt just said you could come over and now you're inviting two people over. So I can't imagine that she was too excited about that. But also like how rude of her boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought too. Like if I'm going to invite you over <laughs> and you want to invite two other friends, Right. Yeah. Like, first of all, this is very obviously like a cute date for them. Like, just come well, over and, and watch a movie with me. we're alone in the house and, you know, like we could cuddle, right? And now you want to invite and two friends And now you want to bring your two guys over? Like, So now I'm, I'm kind of like the third wheel now or the fourth yeah. wheel. Yeah. In no. my, the house that <laughs> I am exactly. staying in. Well, and also, Matt, come on, dude. Like... Like, why are you inviting two f guy friends over? Because they are two guys when you could be at home alone at a house with your girlfriend. Right. Yeah. Makes no sense. But like if you want to go hang out with your guy friends, then cool. Do it somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. Anyways, but that is what Matt did. Matt ended up inviting over Brian Draper and Tori Adamick. They were both 16, just like uh, Cassie and Matt, and they were both juniors at the same high school. Brian grew up in Utah, and when his family moved to Idaho, that's when he met Tori, and Tori actually had lived in Idaho his whole life. Okay. Um, um, they both loved the Scream movies, which you're familiar with. Everyone's familiar with the Scream. I remember watching the first Scream movie. You were probably a fetus, but uh, I remember watching the first Scream movie and I loved it. So, because um, I was like, gosh, I was, oh God. Anyways, I'm, moving on. I'm going to make us lose some followers right now. <laughs> I don't think I have ever seen the entire scream like i've never like seen the franchise? two three or four yeah no i don't I, think i've no no I, 
I don't think I've ever seen the whole first movie. Oh, really? I've seen the whole first movie. I don't think I followed up with the the sequels that came out after that. Yeah, I I'd, didn't. Do I've those. seen bits and pieces, but I don't think I've ever seen the whole movie. Yeah, I know what it's about because it's based on um, an actual murder. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Anyways, Brian and Tori loved that movie. They were also very fascinated uh, with the Columbine shooting um, in That's Colorado. Unhealthy, very unhealthy. Um, because they loved Scream so much, uh, they enjoyed making their own videos and scary movies. I think they got their inspiration <laughs> from Scream. <laughs> what? Why are you laughing? <laughs> What? What? What did I? What did I say? What did I ruin? No, no. So this is going to tell people so many things about me. Oh God! I thought I did something wrong. I'm like, was I wordsmithing again? Okay, go. Um. So, like I mentioned, I had one of those really cool. It was a Nikon Coolpix. It was purple. Uh huh. We used to go and visit my cousins. They lived about three hours away. Uh-huh. And we would go visit them at least once a month. Yeah. One of them had a scream costume <laughs> and a little plastic retractable knife. And Did we would make like movies. Movies. Oh, man. With, with us wearing the scream <laughs> costume and like hunting each other down. Oh, Brian and Tori would have loved you guys then. Oh, apparently. <laughs> um. Yeah, because that, that's what basically they like to do, too. They liked making videos. They liked scary movies. Uh, they took their camcorder. It was a camcorder. They took it everywhere. I mean, there's footage of Brian filming inside the high school. Like, they they just always had it. There's You're going to hear, you know, uh, some footage of them talking about, you know, their movies and plans in the library. They just loved it. Um, yeah, they sound like typical AV club guys. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they just recorded themselves. As a matter of fact, uh, what you're going to hear next is actually a clip from that morning of Friday, September 22nd. Um, Brian is walking into the halls. He has his camcorder and you actually see him walking towards Cassie. She is at her locker and it's the morning. It's around 8 a.m. And so she's putting her stuff away in her locker, like getting ready for the day. And so, um, we have audio of him saying a very friendly hi to Cassie. Actually, I was really actually going to do it. Oh, yeah? And I was like, I went to Bristol. Hey, look, it's Cassie. Hey, look, I don't know. Hello, Cassie. <laughs> I'm getting you on tape, okay? Say hi, please. Hi. Okay, see ya. That was weird. Yeah, and what's even weirder is that it, it looks like a very awkward exchange. Like Brian is saying hi to her, but she's like kind of brushing him off, but in a super nice way. Like she's putting I the mean, stuff it, away it in her locker. Sounds like a really awkward exchange where she's yeah. like, I have you on camera. Say hi. Yeah. And you know, she turns and she says hi. And then she's kind of like, she keeps putting her stuff away in her locker and you can clearly like, okay, you can go now. Yeah. And it, you can look this up on YouTube, people, um, listening to this and, and you'll, it's very obvious 
that Cassie is just trying to get her morning started and put stuff away in her locker and go to her first class. Um, and he's kind of annoying her, but that's what they did. That's what Brian and Tori did. They would, um, film everyone, uh, and make movies and they would even make movies about them talking about killing people too, which is very ominous, especially in this case. So anyways, at around 6.30 that same evening, Brian and Tori go over to the house because remember, the boyfriend invited them over, much to Cassie being like, no thanks. Uh, They go over there. Cassie actually gives them a quick tour of the house. um, And then they settle on watching Kill Bill Volume 2 which okay. isn't the most romantic or like... And I bet you anything, it was the boys who chose Oh, I'm watched. pretty sure it was. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, but then, suddenly, less than an hour later, Brian and Tori announced that they were going to leave, that they wanted to go to a movie theater and watch a movie. Like which, a new movie that just came out. Yeah, but they had only been there less than an hour. And I want to remind you guys that... Um, the house where Cassie is staying is like 15 minutes away from like where the boys lived locally, like near the high school. So it's not like it was super close and then they could pop over. It was, it was in a remote area. So it's not like it was super easy to get to off a freeway or anything like that. It was just out there. I mean, 15 minutes isn't that far though. It's not that far. But when I think of living in a small town and being a teenager, like I wouldn't drive out of my way. And if I was, I would stay and I wouldn't stay less than an hour and then suddenly decide, oh, we want to go see a movie at the movie theater. Um, Maybe I would. I don't know. It's 6.30. I'm tired by that time. So I guess I just... I remember like me being in high school and Uh how common it was for us to go to one house, be there for like even 10 minutes to be like, oh, I'm bored of this. Let's go somewhere else. Like, I guess you're right. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyways, they left. And um, 15 minutes after Brian and Tori leave, Matt and Cassie start to hear noises. Uh, there's just loud noises coming from the basement. Um, the dogs are starting to react to this noise and they're starting to bark and growl down, like towards the downstairs, which is towards the basement. Right. Mm-hmm. They even hear glass breaking. They didn't call 911. They didn't call 911. They didn't even go investigate the basement, which is odd to me as well. And then suddenly... If you hear glass break, I would be... Like, I think maybe a cat knocks something over. I need to go clean that up so yeah. that the dogs don't cut their feet on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think the dogs would be going down to the basement, but I have no idea. But anyways, so they're sitting up there and they're listening to all of these noises and the dogs barking and there's chaos. And then suddenly the lights go out in the house. like. And I bet they still didn't call 911. <laughs> no, they did not. Cassie is terrified, right? Matt uh-huh. is a little freaked out. And I think they're just sitting there trying to figure out like what's going on. But like you said and pointed out, no one's calling 911. And they're just, I think, trying to figure out what could it be, right? And they're, and Cassie is trying to calm down the dogs. And then suddenly the lights come back on. 
like they were off and then they come back on. Um, so Matt calls his mom and he tells her what's happening. He's like, mom, uh, I'm with Cassie, obviously, cause she dropped him off. And we heard these horrible noises coming from the basement and the lights went off and now they're back on. Could I please just spend the night here with Cassie? Mom says, no, I'm not comfortable with that, but you can tell Cassie that I'll come pick you both up. She can mm-hmm. spend the night at our house and I'll drive her back in the morning, which I thought was very nice of the mom. Right. Yeah. And that's a completely reasonable offer to make. Like she's scared. Yes. She doesn't want to be home alone. So yeah. the mom is like, you know, if she wants to stay somewhere, then yeah. I mean, she, she can could come go back stay. to her grandparents' house. Yeah. But like, you know, she can come stay with us. Yeah. Well, Cassie didn't want to do that. Cassie Why? being the responsible girl that she was, she didn't feel comfortable leaving the dogs and the pets there at the house, which I, I can kind of understand, especially with what had just happened. But no. at the same time, I would like make my boyfriend stay or even make his mom stay. I wouldn't care at that point if I was no, hearing noises. I feel like I, I've house sat plenty of times. Uh-huh. And if something like this happened to me, I would have zero issues leaving the house and I would just call my aunt and uncle from wherever. I'd be like, you know what? I heard all these noises. I don't feel comfortable staying in the house. I'll go back in the morning. But like, I'm not understanding. If she was that uncomfortable, why did they not call? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand it either. And I don't understand what happens next. Because Matt's mom ends up picking him up at 1030. And Matt leaves with her. I, I had a hard time with that fact alone. And I don't know why, like I, not that he should disobey his mom and be like, no, I'm staying here and you can't make me come. But I don't know. But I guess you're right. Cassie should have gone to, I don't know. You have to remember these are 16 year olds. Yeah. They're and frontal they've only lobe. been dating five, five months. months. That's true. So they're still kind of in, I would assume they're still maybe, maybe they're coming out of it. Yeah. Um, out of that honeymoon phase. I don't know. Where. Well, and he did just invite two guys to that's come what over. I, that is exactly yeah. what I'm thinking. Okay. Yeah. Where he's, she's saying she does not want to leave the house. His mom is saying, well, I'm not letting you stay here. His mom has zero say over what Cassie does. So she exactly. can't force her to come. Yeah. I don't know why the mom didn't call 911. Or call the grandparents or maybe suggest to Cassie that. But again, we don't know. We weren't there. We don't know what we would do in that situation. Right. So Matt leaves. The next day, which is Saturday, Matt calls Cassie's phone several times, but she does not answer at all. Um, He didn't have any transportation in order to get over there. Like he doesn't have his own car. Um, His mom had the car and she was at work. Cassie was about 15 to 20 minutes away, like I've said before. Mm -hmm. So he calls her a couple of times, just isn't getting any answer. And so that evening, now again, Matt hasn't heard from Cassie all day and he hasn't been able to get over there. And so that evening around 7 p.m., Tori, his friend, comes to pick him up 
to uh, spend the night at Tori's house. Now, while Matt is at Tori's house, he mentions to Tori, because remember, Tori was there the night before with all of them, right? With mm-hmm. Brian. And he mentions to Tori, hey, um, I haven't heard from Cassie all day, and I'm really worried. Do you mind, like, driving me over there to the aunt and uncle's house so I can, like, check check up on Cassie. And, um, Tori said, Oh dude, no, I can't do that. Apparently he had very little gas in his car because Tori had a car and he said that he needed that gas to last the rest of the week. So driving 15, 20 minutes away was going to apparently eat up a lot of gas and he wasn't willing to do that. For and I kind of get that. Because I get that too. At, at that young, you don't really have a ton of money yeah. for gas. We don't know what his situation is. Where did he have a job or not? Yeah, and maybe all he had was his weekly allowance. And yeah, but then I also want to say too, why didn't Brian call Tori's grandparents and say, "Hey, have you heard from?" I mean, not Tori, Cassie's grandparents. Hey, have you heard from Cassie today? But again, sixteen years old, they've only been together five months. Who knows? Even if the grandparents, you know, knew about the right. relationship, and maybe, maybe in his head, he was thinking, "Man, I shouldn't have invited my friends." Over. Yeah, she's, she's mad at me. Whatever. Yeah, she's mad. I couldn't stay the night last night. Whatever. He probably just thought, you know, she's not talking to me because she's upset. Exactly. So on Sunday, September 24th, Cassie's aunt and uncle return home, along with their 13-year-old daughter, Cassie's cousin. Uh, They get home, you know, they're unloading stuff. The 13-year-old cousin walks into the living room and screams this horrific scream because what she walked into was Cassie lying on the living room floor in a huge pool of blood. Hmm. This was at 1.55 p.m. on Sunday afternoon, two days after the last time anyone saw or heard Cassie um, alive. So obviously, the police were called immediately. Finally. Yes, finally. Exactly. So obviously, who are they going to look at first? They have a 16-year-old. Matt. Exactly, right? Matt was the last person with her, right? He left the house. Also the boyfriend. Exactly. Um, So they immediately find Matt. They talk to him. They knew Matt was there because Cassie's aunt and uncle, Frank and Allison, were like, yeah, she had a boyfriend come over, her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I know that they had the boyfriend's information. So they go find Matt. Matt um, is able to tell them everything that happened that night. That Tori and Brian were there at one point. That after Tori and Brian left, they heard noises in the basement. And then he ended up leaving, but he couldn't get in contact with her the next day. And he had no transportation to go check on her. Um, And actually, the way Matt found out about Cassie was when um, Cassie's mom called him on Sunday evening, screaming at him, what did you do to my daughter? She just kept screaming that on the phone. And he had, Matt had no idea what was happening, right? So that's like, that that was how he found out. Um, I have never heard that before. uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's what she said. That's how he found out was when Tori's oh, mom awful. called screaming at him, what did you do to my daughter? 
He also mentioned to the police when he was talking about Tori and Brian being there and they wanted to know more about that. He mentioned that he thought that Tori and Brian both had crushes on Cassie because he would notice that they would flirt with her from time to time, but all three of them were friends. So he really wasn't, he kind of took it with a grain of salt. And I also think that Matt was kind of in the position. Well, like, you know, I have her, you guys, you know, I know you guys have crushes on her, but she's my girlfriend, but then inviting them over. (laughs) Yes. How awkward is it to put Cassie in that position? Yeah. Where if these guys like, if Matt knows that they're flirting with her, that means they have to be doing it in front of him. Yeah. And how awkward is that for Cassie that she's basically trapped in this house with three guys? It makes me kind of think that Matt liked knowing that information. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he, I don't know. Guys are weird anyways. So I don't know. Anyways, so the police are like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So they decide they want to talk to now Brian and Tori, right? Because Mm -hmm. they were also there and they were also the last ones to see Cassie alive. Um, So they go and talk to Tori. His parents are there. Um, He told police his story. You know, he had gone there with Brian and he actually told the police, we thought that there was a party going on over there. Like when Matt called us, he asked us to come over. We totally assumed it was a party. So we went and when we showed up, there was no one else there. So we just decided this was lame. We want to go to a movie instead. Okay. That's kind of, yeah, that seems legit. I was saying, yeah. It, until the police ask, okay, so what movie did you go see instead? Like Mm -hmm. you left, you thought it was lame. What movie did you go see? Oh, I don't remember. Okay. This was like two days ago, man. Yeah. What do you mean you don't remember? Yeah, I I don't know what movie we saw. He couldn't even tell them the time that he thought he was there. He couldn't even tell them the time that he thought they got home. Nothing. So the police are like, uh, first You're red sketchy. flag. Yeah. He didn't, he, he like couldn't give any detail at all. All he said was, all I remember is after the movie, you know, I came back here to my house with Brian and we just spent the night, the rest of the night here at my house. All right. That is like the most poorly thought out alibi ever. (laughs) Exactly. So the next day, September 25th, they go and interview Brian. They talked to Tori, so now they're going to talk to Brian. And uh, Brian was there, and so was his mom, Pam. And he basically tells the same story as Tori. Um, and with the same lack of detail. Yeah, with the exactly with the same lack of details. <laughs> he also Brian also didn't know what movie they saw. He just knows that yeah, uh, we thought we went there. We thought it was a party. It was lame. We went to go see a movie. I have no idea what it was or what time we were there, but uh, I spent the night at Tori's. And then let he, me ask yeah. really quick because I thought that one of them had ticket stubs. They actually bought movie tickets and one of the two of them had stubs because that was their alibi. Was, oh, look, we have these ticket stubs. I I have not heard that. I did not read that in any of the articles that I read. I might be thinking of a different case, but I swear it was this one. That was their big proof of their alibi. No, I, I I don't remember reading that. I mean, you could be right, but 
they, well, here we go. Yeah. So yeah. wait, they had, they had tickets. They stubs. did? Yes. So in this, um, just like literally 20 seconds glossing over Uh Google, I can see three different sources right now that say that they provided ticket stubs. There was three interviews I saw that said they had, they told the police at first that they had no, um, no idea what movie they saw. So maybe they produced the, the movie tickets afterwards because in the initial, maybe it was later yeah. that they were like, Oh, we, oh yes. man, I forgot. Look, yeah. look at this because, um, I, I can also see that they, they couldn't give any details yeah. about the movie. Cause when they were like, Oh, and maybe that was a subsequent interview yeah. that they, that the was the initial like, interview. Oh man, tell me. Like, and then probably like later the they're like, Oh, you know what? We just found the ticket stubs. Here they are to, probably solidify their alibi after that because I'm sure their parents like Tori's parents were there when they were interviewed with the police and Brian's mom Pam was there when they were interviewed so the parents were probably like hello you don't know what movie you saw you better figure it out what movie you saw do you know what I'm saying I would be like that yeah I'd be like you have you're being interviewed by the police because a teenager is dead you were the last ones to see her, and you don't know what movie you saw. Right. So. And so I, this is going purely off memory right now, but I swear I remember that there, when they put this horrible plan together, because it was it was not very well put together, part of their plan was to go and buy movie tickets to set up this alibi, but... The, that alibi didn't end up playing out because they bought the movie tickets like 15 minutes after the movie started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think something on their stub actually showed that they bought it after the movie okay. started. Okay. Anywho, they should have, you know, planned that out a little bit better because they're dumb they kids. are. They're 16. Tori did say, though, or Brian did say how, and he reiterated this to the police many, many times, how shocked he was to hear about Cassie. Like, he was just completely in shock that this happened, that she was dead, and he just wanted the police, he kind of wanted to hit that home with the police. So the police were like, cool story, bro, and they leave. So as the police are investigating, an anonymous source actually calls the police station um, and they wanted to talk to the police about Tori. So as soon as they found out that Cassie was dead, this anonymous source comes forward and tells the police, you know what? Tori is obsessed with knives and horror films. And they've been writing a movie script for a horror movie about a boy killing another boy. And this anonymous source even said, you know, Cassie actually wanted to be in the movie and had been talking to Tori and Brian about the movie. They even, they even gave Cassie, apparently there was a script to this movie too, that apparently Cassie had as well. So, um, Tori also had a very extensive knife collection. He even had the Nightmare on Elm Street, a duplicate of the Nightmare on Elm Street knife glove. You know, the glove that he has with the all the, with the blades, blades on the coming fingers. out. Yeah, on the knuckles, basically. I think they're on the knuckles or on the... Oh, Wolverine is on the knuckles. I think the, the Nightmare on Elm Street... <laughs> the Nightmare I think on those Elm- are like coming out of... 
um, like the fingers. Yeah. I know they're coming out of the fingers somewhere because yeah. you can like move your fingers and the blades move. Like exactly. Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands. Oh, I love that movie, by the way. <laughs> Anywho, Tori, uh, they, he also said, you know what? Tori is like loves to mess around and act like he's stabbing people, which I can totally see in a high school setting. This weirdo yeah. kid just, you know, walking around the cafeteria you know, pretending to stab people and thinks it's super funny, right? We had that weirdo kid. Oh, did and you? He would carry around a big sword. A sword? Uh, like a cardboard or oh, a plastic okay. one. Okay, I thought you were. And talking. you would just, you would just see him like walking down the hall, uh-huh. like swinging it. Yeah, like a samurai. Yeah, and then oh. posing. I think Tori <laughs> Tori was like that too. Tori would get along with this kid. Seriously, what a weirdo! Um, he actually had invited. So this anonymous source was invited. He told the police that. Well, yeah, Tori actually invited me to come with them to Cassie's house that night when they thought a party was going to be there. And what the hell is wrong with these people? <laughs> I'm know. sorry. This source also said that yeah. Tori had a crush on Cassie for the last three years, basically. Oh. So it was a known thing. The crush on Cassie, the feelings that Tori had for Cassie was a known thing. So Did he just never go for it? Um, apparently, well, I mean, and I don't I don't mean this in a judgmental way, but let's get real, people. That's who I am. Um, when you see Tori and you See Cassie. Three years to not shoot your shot. I guess sixteen years old. Well, yeah, and he he's he's the kid going around fake stabbing people. I don't think he's the type of kid to shoot a shot. So on September twenty seventh, Brian and Tori are actually arrested, and they That's are really fast, really fast, and they are charged as adults with. First-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. Now, Brian admits right away that he was present, but that he had no part, and he only thought that they were going to scare her. Brian said that it was all Tory and that he just went along. He said he was like, yeah, it was... I went, I went with Tori, but when we had been talking about this, I really thought this was going to be a prank, and we were actually there because we were going to scare Matt and Cassie, but then Matt ended up leaving, and so we just, Tori wanted to keep on with the prank, and that Tori was the one that got all excited, and then something switched, and he ended up just wanting to kill her. So that was, that's what happened when they were arrested. Now, at this point, both Tori and Brian are just blaming each other. Tori then tells the police, no, this is, was Brian's idea. Brian wanted to kill her. This was never a prank. Um, I, you know, I was just there and it was all Brian. Eventually they get to the bottom of everything. And this is what happened that night. So. The reason police know so much about what happened that night is because, like I said, Brian and Tori love the camera, right? So there is a lot of audio that um, the police eventually find. And I bet you're wondering, okay, how did they find the audio? Well, there was evidence, tons of evidence from that evening that Brian and Tori thought that they could just get rid of by burning 
they not only burned it, they only burned half of the evidence. And then the other half of the evidence, I guess they felt like they couldn't burn it all. So they ended up burying it next to the burn pile. So again, 16 year old, <laughs> like okay. bad idea. Their frontal lobe isn't fully formed. Like, and they didn't even think to like separate it. Like, no, they well, they, bur- they buried it right next to the burn pile. Here's like they the weren't thing. going to look there. They like burn. They had several knives with them that you'll hear more about later. But they burned the knives, but then they didn't burn the the tape. With all of their recordings, they buried the tape and they buried a pair of Brian's pants and shoes that had Cassie's blood on it. They didn't burn that. They buried that. the soft cloth items that could actually burn. Yeah, they they didn't. They're like... Versus uh, the metal knife. They're like, let's... Yeah, let's cover this up. They probably didn't even burn all the way. They probably just charred it a little. Yeah. Let's cover this up. I know what we can do. Let's burn the knives and bury the clothes. Yeah. Guys, (laughs) that sounds like a fabulous idea. (laughs) Okay. Which honestly, um, good news for the police, right? Because now they have everything they need. So there is audio of them that they recorded the night before Cassie's murder, where they're actually saying they are going to kill Cassie and that they have picked Cassie to like kill, which it's kind of hard to listen to, but I'm going to let you listen to that next. We found our victim and sad as it may be, she's our friend, but you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie Stoddard. She's going to be alone in a big, dark house out in the middle of nowhere. How perfect can you get? I, I mean, like, holy shit, dude. I'm horny just thinking about it. Hell yeah. Creepy. It's just awful. It's completely awful. And that was actually the night before the murder. So, so what happened? Well, here's the thing. So because in that audio, they even say it's perfect. She's at home in a big house all alone. Right. And it it sounds like they're in a car. Like, yeah, they're in their driving. Their way there. Yeah. But this is the night before the murder. So. Right. So what happened? I, I you know what? It's never really brought up in any articles or talked about, but this is what I think happened. Because I'm like, how did they even know that Cassie was staying there if Matt was the one that called them on Friday, right? Because he invited them over on Friday night. But what I think had to have happened was Matt and Tori and Brian probably talked about it at school on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And and Matt was probably like, yeah, I'm, they're like, what are you doing tomorrow? Oh, I'm going over to, you know, Cassie's, Cassie's uh, aunt and uncle are gone. And so I'm going to go over to Cassie's place and hang out, you know, while she's house sitting. And okay, so maybe they weren't actually on their way that no, night. No, they're just they were in the car. Like, and they were doing like preparations yeah, that night and I, talking I, about it. They were. And I think that's exactly okay. what happened. And then I also think the boys invited themselves over too. They're like, oh, hey, can we come over too? And that's probably when Matt was like, oh, let me ask Cassie. And then that's probably how the whole thing went down, you know? So I don't know. But they obviously knew that Cassie was going to be in a big house by herself the night before. I mean, I don't know if they invited themselves over. 
They had to, they, they had already, they had this planned. Right. But they could, they could have just gone over there without being invited. They could have been planning this whole murder and they did not need an invitation. Like break-ins are a thing. Oh, I guess I think I know what you're saying. I don't know. Yeah. So just because Matt says, oh yeah, I'm going to be um, at Cassie's house tomorrow night. They're like, oh, that sounds fun. He And he, Matt goes, man, you guys should come over. That doesn't mean that they true. invited themselves. True, true, true. So anyways, I guess the point I was trying to make is they had to know that Cassie was house sitting, right? And they probably heard that from Matt. And so they go over while, while Matt is there. And this is how they planned it. They were going to go over and they initially went over there first. Cause remember they go there and they leave. They went right. over there first to case the place out is what they later tell police. And doesn't one of them go downstairs to unlock yes. a basement yes. window or door or something? Brian does. Yes. So they go over there and remember, I told you in the beginning when they went over there, Cassie gave them a tour of the house and I bet oh, you man. Cassie didn't give it to them out of, I, I bet you she did not suggest it. I bet the guys were like, show us around because remember Cassie didn't want them coming over in the first place. Right. So, yeah. so they asked her for a tour. They cased the place out um, before they leave. Brian goes downstairs and leaves the basement door unlocked because okay. they already planned that they are coming back. Mm-hmm. Also, while they were there initially, before they left that first time, they were also making sure the dogs were familiar with them. So they were letting the oh. dogs sniff them, hear their voices, uh, you know, pet them. I mean, so on one hand, that's smart of mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. But for most dogs, meeting you one time is not enough. Yeah. Well, not for these dogs, apparently. They actually, there's audio of them even talking about leaving the door open before they left Matt and Cassie's. Um, and so that is the next audio that you will hear. We know there's lots of doors. There, there's lots of places to hide. I locked the back doors. That's all a lot. Now we just gotta wait. Doesn't he sound excited to you, Crystal? No. He doesn't. No, he sounds nervous. We are like we hear two totally different things. I think. No, I can totally hear it. Oh man, I guess I should be a better listener. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> anyways, so they leave in um, Tori's Ford Geo. So when they tell Matt and Cassie, hey, okay, this party's lame. We're going to go see a movie instead. They actually drive down the street and they get out of Tori's car and that's where they're putting their costumes on. So they put on dark shirts, gloves, and masks. So the masks that they put on, they do not resemble the scream masks at all. They are just basically white masks with red, it looks like blood dripping from the eyes and from the mouth. Okay. So it's not this because a lot of people like to dub this the scream murders, um, mainly because that's just because they were because they were obsessed with the movie. But then I think a lot of people like 
uh, convoluted it with, oh, then they must have been wearing the Scream masks, right? Because they knew that they did have masks, but it wasn't the Scream masks. It was just like I had described before. Um, They each had a couple of hunting knives. um, And what they ended up doing is they left the car down the street and they walked down the driveway. They looked through the windows. They actually told the police or Brian tells the police later that uh, when they walked back up to the house and were like looking in the windows, they like stood there for several minutes looking at Matt and Cassie inside the house. Yeah. Um, They entered the house through the basement on the South side of the house. And um, they purposely made noise to try their plan was to get Matt and Cassie downstairs to the basement. So that's why, even though they left the, right, they left the basement door open. They per- Right. I was wondering why there yeah. was the sound of broken glass. Yeah. Like how clumsy are these guys? Because they purposely made noise because they wanted to get Matt and Cassie downstairs. And when apparently they were like, these people are not coming down the stairs. They are not playing by the horror <laughs> no, movie uh-uh. book. So they uh, stumbled upon the electric, the panel for the electric, you know, box. And that's when they were able to turn off the lights in the house. And when that was still not getting Matt and Cassie downstairs, that's when they turned the lights back on a short time later. Uh-huh. Now, they heard Matt call his mom and tell his mom everything about what was happening in the house. And um, they also then heard Matt's mom pick him up. Now, there is one report that I read, and it's not in my notes, but I read it in an article where Brian says that Tori calls Matt and he's in the basement. Tori's in the basement. Matt is upstairs. And he calls Tori or he calls Matt and asks Matt if he wants to come meet them at the movies. Oh, you know, I may have heard this somewhere. Too. Yeah. Or come hang out. And Matt's like, no, I can't. Like, I'm still here with Cassie. Like you guys just left. Yeah. And let you know I'm here. Yeah. Well, yeah. And how creepy is that that he's calling him from the basement? Like, yeah. that's just weird. Um, They love their video camera so much. Did they bring it with them? No, they did not bring them, bring it with them. Okay. Well, that, so. I'm grateful for that. Yeah, exactly. So they heard Matt's mom pick him up. They turn off the power again before they walk up the stairs. Brian slams the door at the top of the stairs at the top of the stairs to scare Cassie even more. I guess that was his plan. Like the police. I mean, that would scare the shit out yeah. of me. Um, the dog ran out to them and was barking at them, but then went back to the living room to where Cassie was. So apparently, when all of this is going on, and I had a hard time imagining this because I know. Basic response is fight or flight, right? Mm-hmm. I would have ran out of that house so fucking fast as soon as the lights went out again. Like, I don't but, even, I mean, I don't even, there's also the freeze aspect. Okay. And that's what I was going to say. I don't even care about the dogs or the cat at that point. I am running out of the house. That's what I think right now as an adult, right? That I would have right. just ran. But thinking of myself as a 16 year old, in a house all by myself 
she froze too. She was sitting in the living room on the couch with the dogs. And how many times have you been home alone, even as an adult? You're home alone and your house creaks. And oh, you're yeah. Like, and you, what was that? And you just sit there and you wait. And you freeze and you try to listen for the noise again. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't even breathe. You hold your breath too. Yeah. Yeah. So I am sure this is what was happening with Cassie. Um, now, Brian says that Cassie was laying on the couch, but if it was pitch black, I don't know how he could see that. But regardless, she was sitting on the couch with the dogs. They approach her where she is on the couch, and they said that she jumped to her feet. Tori at this point is standing in front of Brian. So Tori is walking towards Cassie and Brian is behind him and the room is dark. Okay. Apparently Mm -hmm. Cassie jumps up and she says, who are you guys? And Tori keeps walking towards her and Cassie, God bless her soul, just starts yelling at them. I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to kick your ass. Like she, she's like, apparently ready to to fight them and then brian says that's when he sees tori lunge at cassie and just starts stabbing her she falls to the floor and then that's when brian says that he hears cassie make like a a snoring then gurgling sound oh and then tori says i don't know what i've done we have to kill her what yeah uh, Tori, what you did was, is you stabbed your friend and like, so I don't know why he says, I don't know what I've done. We have to kill her. Right. Why do you, why do we have to kill her? Please explain this to me. Exactly. So that I understand. Well, but you know, he goes with his word and he ends up stabbing her several more times. You will hear how many times they in fact stabbed her, um, in a second. But they stab her several more times, and then they just leave her there. Now, you are going to hear the next audio you are going to hear is of Tori and Brian after they have just left, after they have just stabbed to death their fellow classmate while she was defenseless in her aunt and uncle's house. And it's, okay. it's really disturbing to hear. I just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. I'm shaking. I stabbed her in the throat and I saw her lifeless body just disappear. Dude, I oh just killed God. Cassie. Oh, oh, fuck. That felt like it wasn't real. I mean, it went by so Shut fast. Shut the fuck up. We gotta get our act straight. Okay. So in this one... Mm-hmm. They do sound excited. Yeah, they're very excited. I mean, both of them very obviously sound super pleased with themselves. Yeah, yeah. So that's like this tone reminds me of, um, like winning a football game. Yeah, in yeah. the locker room, man, we just won the game. Yeah, it's like, awful. That's what it sounds like. It's awful. Yes. So it is really disturbing listening to how excited those two are that they actually committed this crime. Could you imagine being the parent or of of any of the kids involved in this situation? Like hearing your son sound that excited after what just happened. Uh huh. That I, I can't imagine. 
So what they ended up doing is they drove back to Tori's house. They start cleaning up. They take off all of their clothes. They put it in a sack with a bottle of rubbing alcohol. They leave the house. They go to a store and buy matches. Then they... Because they didn't have any. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> they didn't even have a lighter. Okay. They go buy matches. They take the clothes and the knives to Black Rock Canyon area, and they burn the bag with the clothes and the knives. Not all the clothes, because whatever was left over where that we talked about earlier, um, that was not burned they buried it. And in that was, like I said before, Brian's clothes, the mask that Brian was wearing, his shirt, his pants, and his shoes, and the camcorder tape as well. Okay. Um, and then they drove back to Tori's house and they watched a movie together. Just, you know. There's just a lot of movies going on. Yeah, because they wanted to chill out. This had just happened, so why not go watch a movie? Also, where are the parents? This has to be, like, because they end up murdering her around 11 or so. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, this has to be well after midnight, 1 o'clock, and they're still driving to Black Rock Canyon area and making poor choices. I don't know. When I was 16. Friday night. Well, my curfew was like 9 o'clock when I was 16, so I wouldn't have time for any of this. A lot of kids don't have curfews, though. Well, also, I don't. Plus, plus, there's always the, oh, we're staying at his house, he's That's staying true. at my house That's thing. True. I never tried that, by the way, because I had too much anxiety and I knew I'd be caught. Anyways, 2007, both of the boys are put on trial Brian's trial is in April of that year, and Tori's trial is in June. Uh, okay. Prosecutors relied heavily on the DNA evidence that was found at the scene. Both had matches to Brian and Tori, which makes sense because they both admit they were in the house, right? Yeah. Did Did Brian testify in Tori's trial? Uh, yes. I believe they both testified in... Both. Brian gave all the information to the police? Yeah, he did. So Brian would have testified in Tori's trial, right? Yeah, uh-huh, most likely, yeah. Because Brian was the one that led the police to the Black Rock Canyon where they buried yeah. all the stuff. Because remember, Brian's like, yeah, I thought this was going to be a prank. And it turned out it wasn't. And it was all Tori. And, I don't know how much of that I believe. And Tori was like, no, it wasn't. This was all Brian. Brian led the police to everything. So, mm -hmm. um, now Brian, it was Brian's DNA that could mostly be found on her hands and her fingernails, Oh, which tells me, right. That if she fought back, Brian, it was Brian who had to have been in front of her. Right. I mean, not necessarily. That That's just in my mind. If it's on her fingernails and her hands and she's fighting back against someone who's stabbing her. I mean, that could just be the last person she came into contact with. That's true. Now, Tori's, was, Tori's DNA was found mostly on the knife and her pants. Okay. So I guess you're right. So Brian could have, like, gone down to the ground and tried to, like... I don't know. 
helper. I don't know. No, not even help her. It's just um, Tori could have been in front. And once she got down on the ground, one of them took her upper body and the other took the lower body or true. whatever. True. Did they move her? No, they left her where she was. They didn't okay. move her. Yeah. She was lying in the living room in front of the couch. Um, Tori's defense relied heavily on the fact that it was only Brian who announces on the tape I killed Cassie on the recorded audio, not we. So they really relied on those those that is such the pronouns, little detail. Yeah, I, not we. It doesn't matter because they both were found guilty in both of their trials, and they both received life without the possibility of parole for first-degree murder. And then they received an additional 30 years to life for the conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and those are are, would be um, served—what's that word? Concurrently. Concurrently, yes. In the Idaho State Correction. Correctional Institution. Now, both of them have filed many appeals since, and most of those appeals, actually all of those appeals, have been lost. Now, I'm going to tell you because their case falls under, remember when there was that case in, I want to say, 2009, where they overturned or they were reviewing cases... um for anyone, any minors um, sentenced to life when they were a minor, when they, uh, when they did the crime. Yeah. They, they found that it was unconstitutional to sentence minors to life. Yeah. So you'll hear, and basically they had to review everyone's sentences and most of them got the same sentence. Exactly. Yep. Correct. Correct. And I'm going to mention that um, later because they're both of them, Brian and Tori, uh, both of their cases were reviewed. Um, In 2010, Cassie's parents or Cassie's family filed a civil suit against the Pocatillo high school for negligence. um, And, and their claim was that they, the boys, obvious they should have seen the boys as some sort of threat, but they totally lost that because there wasn't enough evidence, and there's no record no. of them. Like no, just because the kids know this guy's a weirdo, and you know staff can see when certain kids are outcasts. Yeah. That doesn't mean they know why. No, and I think they were holding on to like because there's a. Uh, audio and video that they recorded of themselves in the school library making their kill list because they actually made a list of other people they wanted to kill. It wasn't just Cassie. Um, I think Cassie, that opportunity presented itself to them. Mm -hmm. You know, she was going to be out of house by herself. And then just the fact, you know, that there's that anonymous source that said, you know, Tori was the kid who liked to pretend he was stabbing people and the fact, but again, that wasn't the school, that wasn't a liability on the school. Right. So um, they lost that because the court didn't feel like the school had any idea that the boys would do this. So there wasn't, you know. And honestly, the boys weren't really in big trouble at school ever. They weren't like, you know, watched or, you know, had a lot of referrals or there really wasn't anything 
So in 2013, a documentary came out called Lost for Life. And this documentary, it's available on YouTube, the whole documentary is, and it's actually super um, fascinating to watch, but it's a documentary about kids charged with adult crimes that were sentenced to life. And it okay. it's just all about how sentences for life should not be a thing for minors. So this was around that same time that, you know, talking about, is it, you know, right to sentence minors to life when there's so much that changes in the brain from being Mm. a minor to becoming an adult? And should we even be charging them with adult crimes when they're minors? So it highlights three cases and Cassie's crime and Brian and Tori are one of the cases highlighted in this documentary. So uh, this documentary was actually filmed five years after the sentences. So um, in this documentary, both Brian and Tori are interviewed. Uh, Brian by himself, Tori is in um, the documentary with his parents. He's interviewed along with his par- parents. Um, now, Brian claims full resp- so this is five years after their sentences and okay. so they've been in prison for five years at this point brian claims complete responsibility for his part and um and he you see him and he's just trying to move on and better himself while he's there okay. tory on the other hand with his parents right there across the table from him who completely enable him. Like mom is even in, in several of these parts in the documentary, when you see it, like Tori's mom interrupts him all the time when he's talking. Um, He talks about just like uh, things like, yeah, you know, my mom still calls and reminds me to do things like brush my teeth and make sure I go to bed on time. Like, and at this point he's 20, and in prison okay if you think about it and he feels uh that he's still it shouldn't be he's not guilty or responsible for this that he only made a mistake that's it and his mom what a hell of a mistake exactly his mom even says that he's a kind kind person he he made one mistake when he was 16 he doesn't deserve to be here like the par- you need to watch clips of Tori with his parents and it is super obvious that they are enabling him 100%. I was actually the individual who snuck down stairs and locked the basement door and <laughs> it's that one choice where I was j- just kind of going along with it. I really didn't stop and say, why am I doing this? I just did it. And that one thing that I did, uh, you know, started this whole thing. And that's something that is hard to deal with um, because all I had to do was just not do that. And this may have never happened. So uh, Brian does admit in this documentary that he did have a crush on Cassie and that he was really devastated when she started dating another guy, not Matt. It just like a, 
a different just the fact that she, yeah that he, she, she was dating yeah somebody. that she was dating somebody um now tori throughout this documentary still plays victim he basically makes it all about himself tori's parents seem to live in denial in the clips with you know talking about having their son in prison. Um, Mom goes on at a point about what a kind, kind, kind person Tori is. And they... Does she know who she's talking about? uh, They both, all three of them. Tori, Tori's mom and dad, they blame Brian 100%. When it did happen, I was just too shocked to do anything. And I just ran from it and hid from it. And I made a lot of mistakes. But they were, I don't know, I just think, I look at myself now and 21 and I think how stupid I was at 16 and I just think how I feel like I'm paying for somebody else's mistakes at this point. Tori even says that he only knew Brian for six weeks prior to the killing. Um, or that, really? yeah, that they were only friends for six weeks prior to the killing. Um, and he even says in the documentary too, like, um, like I really shouldn't be like held accountable for a plan I made with someone I only knew for six weeks for a mistake I made with someone I only knew for six weeks. Like, how does that even? Okay. The timeline doesn't matter. Even if yeah. that was true, you still went through with this. Yeah. Unless he had like a knife to your throat and he was forcing you to do this, you were still 100% responsible for your own actions. Yeah. Yeah. And But also, what does that say about you that someone could take you from this sweet, sweet boy to a murderer in six weeks? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't understand. So Brian says in the documentary also that he just believes that they fed off of each other. Um, it was actually, you know, in watching the documentary, it was kind of, I had to remind myself that Brian is in prison cause he killed a peer, right? A teenage girl, right. a 16 year old helpless teenage girl. And, but in this documentary, he appears very vulnerable. He's very emotional throughout a lot of it. Um, him claiming responsibility and just like trying to be a good guy at this point and move on. Um, you know, you're watching him kind of talk through those emotions. And so I do feel a little bad for Brian, when I was watching this, but then I, I have to remind myself, he took another human life, right? And and they sounded so excited afterwards is what... I think he's just proof that when the justice system works towards reformation, it can work for some Correct. people. Correct. And, and you know what? It is working for Brian. I don't think it's worked for Tori at all. Well, it only works if you work. Exactly. Brian says that he really doesn't have like, like solid memories of what happened, but he has flashbulb memories where he'll close his eyes and like an image of Cassie will just flash in his mind or, um, a image from that night will just flash really quick in his mind. There's no like played out movie. You know, Tori's mom 
says that she feels like he's innocent and that he was just influenced by friends. Um, again, you just watch the... That doesn't mean you're innocent. No. But again, you need to watch the documentary just to see her obvious denial and her enablement. It's it's crazy. This was really sad part with Brian that kind of had me... My empathy was working overtime at this point, but Brian talks about his parents um, and... They even play audio of a phone call that Brian had from jail. This was when he was initially arrested. This was before the trial, before everything came out, all the information. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, Brian. Like we, we know that uh, what they're saying about you isn't true, and and we've had a lot of phone calls from people saying they they do not believe anything people are saying. We all love you. Um, like they backed him one hundred percent. They were like, we love you, Brian, and and blah, blah, blah. And then Brian goes on to talk about how he's seen his dad cry twice. Once at a science fair when Brian like won an award for something at a science fair. And then Mm -hmm. um, the second time was on the stand when he was uh, testifying for his son. Oh, yeah. And Brian just goes on to say, you know, he wish he wishes he could go back in time and just change a lot of things. Tori, on the other hand, um, his mom wrote a book um, that she should have really titled How I Enabled My Son, The Story of Denial, because in this book, all she talks about is how wrong it is for Tori to be in prison, how he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it is it is everybody else's fault but Tori is basically what this whole book is about. So if you want to check that out, um, don't. Um, So (laughs) the appeals uh, just 2010, 2015, 2017, um, for various reasons, all these appeals, both boys put in, were denied. And then the ruling that we talked about back in 2012, that mandatory life sentences without the possibility of parole were that were deemed unconstitutional for juvenile offenders. That whole thing came out. So then theirs was under review, especially in 2016, when they ruled that that could be applied retroactively to past crimes and convictions. Yeah. So Brian and Tori's cases are under review, but like Crystal pointed out, a lot of the cases that are being reviewed are still getting the same sentences. Oh, so theirs hasn't actually completed there hasn't, that review yet. No, it hasn't completed yet. So Interesting, yeah. okay. Uh, but I... I wonder if Brian's progress and the ownership he's taken over his actions, I wonder if that will influence this review. You know, I kind of hope so because even Brian, Brian talks about his growth and trying to be a better person and all of that. And he even mentions like Tori is like still on day one, like his first day in prison. Mm -hmm. Like he, he hasn't progressed. He hasn't tried to like, uh, take responsibility or like basically move forward. Tori is still living in the past as if it's his first day there. Yeah. So especially if he's still trying to say that he's a victim. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to tell you a little bit about the house and, and cause you know, it was Cassie's aunt and uncle that this house, ha- that 
this house that this murder happened in. And it was her cousin, you know, that found her. So like I said earlier, they had just purchased that house one year before the murder took place. And it was their dream home. Like oh, that is so sad. And I know. Because they move, they keep going, but didn't, I swear, didn't they leave and like never yeah. even come, move yeah. back, live in the house yeah. after they found her? Yeah. So yeah, when they returned to find Cassie murdered, they did not spend another night in that home again. So oh, they were so there. Sad. The county um, put them up in a hotel while the house was a crime scene and while it was cleaned up. And every single family member, Frank, Allison, their daughter, the aftermath of all of this has been so tragic for them. Um, their daughter who found Cassie suffered from depression for a long time after this. Oh, I am not surprised And she at even all. attempted suicide at one point. Oh, um, Allison, her aunt, also fell into a depression and lost her job. Uh, Frank, at one point, trying to just keep his daughter and his wife you know, together and be there for him, had to start working two jobs um, oh, wow. to pay for uh, all the medication for Allison and his daughter. Um, mm. They tried selling that house for years. Remember, this happened in 2006. Yeah. And it finally sold in 2019. So just last year. Now, remember, when someone, there's 10 years that a realtor has to disclose. Right. If there uh, there has been. I mean, depending on the state. Depending on the state, but they have a 10-year window, right? So if you think about it, that window ended in 2016. But this is a well-known case. And so it finally sold in 2019. Now, I looked it up on Zillow. Um, mm-hmm. And the house largely remains the same as it was. I, I don't think there's been a heavy remodel on the inside. I do know, obviously, that, you know, they clean crime scenes up and, like, there's fresh paint on all the walls and new flooring and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But you could – you can easily look up that address, find it on Zillow, but then it also pops up in all of these other articles, you know for murder. So they finally sold it in 2019. I was reading an article with the uncle and I think the article was from 2016. And the uncle was like, at this point I'm, I'd sell it for $10. Like we just, we just don't want it. Like we're, was he able, like, did they rent it to anyone or was it just an empty house that they had to pay a mortgage on? It just sat empty. I'm not sure if they had, I'm assuming they had to pay a mortgage on it. I don't know how those laws work. That is awful. I mean, well, they still own the house. He would have to pay or it. foreclose on it. I don't know, but you yeah, know, yeah. But then it wouldn't be his bank anymore. Owned, the bank that's true. That's true. So yeah, that is. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about Frank and Allison and where they ended up. But and they're oh man. And you know what? And and I am not a pet person, but I wonder those dogs, you know, that were there when that was happening. Like in the house with I her know, body for I know. 36 hours or 48 hours or however long I know. it took. Like, that's so sad. So hopefully the dogs, like, I don't know. Because dogs feel emotions and they, I don't know. I hope the dogs didn't 
they probably did. I don't know. But that is the unfortunate case of Cassie Joe Stoddard. Yeah. So you're welcome. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's one of those cases that every time, it doesn't matter how many times you've heard the audio, hearing it again is just awful every time. The audio that really takes me aback is right after they do it. Yeah. Well, even when they're planning it the night before when they're talking about it, like, uh, we're really sorry to Cassie's family, but that's how it is. Like, like you're taking someone's life away. Like you, you, you can't take that back. Like that is so permanent. Like there's no way to reverse that. Mm -hmm. And whenever I think about like, like accidental deaths, like where people are responsible for killing somebody on accident. Can you imagine being in that position and knowing there is nothing you can do to change oh, that? Yeah. Like that takes my breath away thinking about that. So then when I think of people purposely doing it, mm-hmm. like I can't even wrap my brain around what part of you has to be missing for you to think that's okay. Or to like think nothing of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like Not these even boys. thinking it's okay. Like these boys afterwards, the way they sounded. Comparing it to a locker room after winning a sports game. Like that's. That's a perfect way to describe how they sounded. That's just what it sounds like. Like, yeah, we, we just did this. Like, I'm just. And to think they weren't going to get caught, these two. Because they planned it so well. <sighs> oh my God. Yeah. 16-year-old boys. Idiots. Honestly. Not all of them. I don't want to generalize 16-year-old boys, but I mean, come on. Yeah. Anywho, well, you're welcome for all of that information because now it is not mine anymore. It is yours. It's, it's all of ours. <laughs> it's everybody's. <laughs> we are so grateful. You're welcome. Speaking of grateful. Oh, gosh. No, I just want to say, like, April was a good month for us. I'm sorry. This is, like, completely <laughs> – I have to lighten this up. I'm okay. sorry. Um, we're ending on a good note okay. here. We okay. just um, – we got over 1,600 downloads in <gasps> April. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, that's um, awesome. So thanks, everybody, for sharing us with your friends. How much – do we usually average a month? Well, uh, the month before we got a thousand, and that was our first month going over a thousand. Oh, that's exciting! Yeah, let's keep moving on that train. Yeah, Thank so you, everybody, us with your friends. Yes, especially you know, I always say it that like if I had to hear it, you have to now too. Yeah, <laughs> share this awful story yeah. with your friends. I like that. If I have to share hear it now, you have to too. Yep. <laughs> Well, like just, I'll send my sister photos. I'm like, I had to see it, so now you have to too. <laughs> now this this has to be burned into your eyeballs as well. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what? Find a friend that you want to share this with, and we will be grateful. Yes, thank you so much. And we'll see you and your friends next week. <laughs> Bye, everybody.
Irregardless is irregardless a word? It actually is. Okay. Am I using it correctly? It wouldn't I don't it know. wouldn't it be regardless? Both? Irregardless is actually a word. Okay. They're both okay. words. Let's take that out. Um Plashapa. Chapa. Okay, on September <laughs> on September. <laughs> 